Welcome to All Things Erie from Erie PA. This is Kathy, your host, and today I'll be reaching into the past about something that happened way back into the 1800s. Now, normally I try to keep cases that happened around like Erie area, but this one was just a little crazy enough to pique my interest and hopefully it'll pique your interest as well. This episode will give you pirates, takeovers, and even crowning a king on American soil. But before I give too much away, let's dig into episode 34. Just some background. This man, his name was James Jesse Strang, and he was born on March 21st, 1813 in Scripio, New York. He was the son of Clement Strang and Abigail James. He lived a fairly quiet life. He had jobs as a teacher, lawyer, a temperance, lecturer, newspaper editor, and as a postmaster before he found that he had a calling to be a Mormon prophet. And no, this isn't going to be a religious episode, and no, I will not be downing on the Mormon religion. I will be respectful, and even though it's not my cup of tea, I cannot look down on something or someone who chooses a different religion than I do. In the Bible, I believe there's a passage that states there are many paths to my kingdom. But, just like voodoo, I don't believe in it, but I also respect the fuck out of it, because... Same as hoodoo, if someone wanted to, all they have to do at any time is just follow my butt around and get as much hair as they wanted to to make a doll. And I say it all the time. If they wanted to make a doll or make a spell, I lose that much hair in a day. So yes, I tip my hat to Madame Laveau for voodoo. Not going to mess with anybody. But back to the episode at hand. Jesse James Strang found that he was a Mormon prophet, like I said, and somehow in 1844, he claimed he came into possession of a letter that Joseph Smith, who was then leader of the Church of Latter-day Saints, named him the successor. Strang said in a testimony that Smith named him as the successor and that he had been ordained to be the prophetic office of an angel and that his followers had claimed that Strang was the sole legitimate continuation of the church 14 years prior to getting that letter. But Strang had competition for this role in the church, and Smith didn't just die. He was assassinated in June of 1844. So the competition for this role was... Brigham Young, sound a little familiar, and Sidney Rigdon, hopefully I didn't butcher that too bad, who Strang wanted those two to stay in the positions that they were at the time, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen kind of deal, but as it happened, both men rejected the proposal, like you didn't see that one coming. So the 12 apostles had denounced Strang as an imposter and a forger, and then they expelled him from the church. 
I'm not sure why anybody else didn't see this as a big, big red flag among his followers. I'm not sure. But this led to the division of the church. Strang was the, was the leader of the church prior to that for 12 years. He decided to take his group and leave and find a new place. And among his followers, which is strange enough, was Smith's own brother, William. And in some other research, they said that Smith's own mother followed Strang. The first place they moved to was Vorey, Wisconsin. And Strang in 1845 said he had translated with the aid of magical spectacles that were given to him by an angel. And it was called the Book of the Law of the Lord were given from the golden plates from the Ark of the Covenant. Now, how do you how did he find these plates? According to Michigan Radio, in this article I found, not only did the angel give Strang the spectacles, but also the ability to find the tablets, which he was directed to an oak tree, and that's where they were buried. And with this, Strang then started a secret society because, let's face it, no colonies complete without one or one of those and that's where this particular group only had to answer to him and when the folks became unhappy in the group that's when they all moved to beaver island because his vision which is with this quote quote as reported by van nord i beheld a land amidst wide waters and covered with large timber with a deep, broad bay on one side of it. Now I have a question here. How many other places could that have described at the time? Remember, America was still very young and still had many places that hadn't even been disturbed by man. Or had Strang been out looking for a new place and had just generalized the description? That's something that we'll never know. And... We'll never know his frame of mind, but then again, I digress. And so let's move back to Beaver Island. Now, Strang's goal was to establish a new colony in a remote area. And Beaver Island itself was 13 miles long and six miles wide. And it was about 24 miles off the coast of Michigan's mainland. The island is also surrounded by several smaller islands other islands, which I didn't get into the names for them um, because it's it's a moot point to the story. And it was Beaver Island itself was only the only island that could hold a sustaining colony. So the other islands doesn't even matter to the story whatsoever. Now, during this time on Beaver Island and Lake Michigan, there were a lot of riches in itself to be had, but not in gold or silver. You would get the gold and silver for what the riches were. You had actual pirates, and yes, I mean pirates, you know, our matey, but they sailed the waters of Lake Michigan and they were looking, but, but what they were looking for were trees to cut down or anything else that they could get their hands on to sell. 
And what I mean by trees, they were loggers and they would set up sawmills along the route to cut down trees and that's how they made their money. With all of that, add in folks that although you know about their religion, but you're not too keen on it because there was a lot of bloodshed that came with it. And come on, we all know Christianity didn't, it it too had its share, but it was more so a lot longer ago than the Mormon religion. Mormon religion was just in its infancy. But the fact that the new people looked down on you because they thought that they were better than you. And then to top that off, Strang had another revelation in what was called the Plates of Laban. And in that, it sanctioned polygamy to those that lived there with them, which Mormons did practice polygamy. Originally, uh, Strang did not. He only had one wife prior to that, which, of course, it didn't go over well with those that lived there prior to Strang and his colony following him. The Plates of Laban also had another sanction to it, but we'll get to that in a few moments. Strang himself, depending on what articles you read or what where you're looking, some say four wives, some say five, but out of those numbers, two of those wives were sisters. Now he, out of having all those marriages, he had 14 children. And along with his followers, more just kept coming to this island. And by 1850, over 75% of the island were followers of Strang. And with that amount of people and Strang being their leader, that gave him the ability to have more control in the political area area on the island. And according to the article in Michigan Radio, the year-round residents only included three white families, a small handful of white men who had wives that were Native American, and between 20 and 30 other men who had their families someplace else. And most of these folks were fishermen, and that was their main business. During the summer, there would be an influx of more men and some boys, which would increase the number to about 100. Then if you go to the north side of the island, there was a small group of Native families made up of possibly 50, but mostly of Chippewa Nation, and they too subsided through fishing. When Strang and his group came to the island, it was no wonder it was so easy to take over. Strang certainly had the numbers for it, but he started to transform this island over the years. Over the next nine years or so, he and his followers They transformed this island. They took it and they built roads. And some of those roads are still there. They went and they built homes. They even started a newspaper. That newspaper was called the Northern Islander. And hey, why not? Strang himself was a newspaper editor. He had the experience. With that business, it started out as a weekly paper. Where else are you going to get news in that type of area? What type of news? That's a different story. But it went from being a weekly paper to a daily paper. And it was the only paper north of the Grand Rapids, which that's saying a lot, going from nothing 
to a weekly, to a daily. Now, with that said, on July 8th, 1850, James Strang, who brought all these people from where they started from to this small island that is the only place that can hold this colony. And when I say his followers, I'm talking about 1,200 people. 1,200 people to take over what was 100 people? There's no competition there. Even though those folks had lived there for that amount of time, there was a lot of, a lot of anger. Those folks who were, have the Mormon background looking down on them, it didn't make that connection any better. And the, the Mormon families would actually make it even harder for those that were in the fishing industry. They would destroy, destroy their boats, whatever it was, and nothing was done about it because who are they going to talk to? There's nobody. So on July 8th, 1850, James Jesse Strang had himself crowned king. You heard it. I said king. Why, you may ask, would he have himself crowned king? Because of the plates of Laban. Remember, I told you this would come back in play. The fact that he had a revelation that he should be crowned king should have been another red flag. I mean, I don't know, that's just me. But up until this point, how many cults have been around? I mean, in America. I mean, there are things I'm sure that happened over in Europe. I mean, there were, there was other things that were going on, but here in America at that point in time, think cult. I mean, this was 1849 that the city of St. James was founded. I mean, why not? I mean, you're having yourself crowned king. Why wouldn't you name things after yourself? And Jim Jones wasn't having his folks drink the Kool-Aid on the island at Jonestown, Guyana, until November 18th, 1978. That's 129 years in between the two. But as I read about that, the similarities between the two, spot on. But back to Strang and those at Beaver Island. Strang made a spectacle out of it. I mean, why not? He's being crowned king, right? He had a robe a crown, and jewels. All of it was fake, of course, and it was borrowed from one of his followers that used to do plays. And this was all from the play King Lear. At this point, he had also declared that God himself gave to Strang all the islands of the Great Lakes. Yes, I almost wish I could have been there to see the looks on people's faces when this proclamation was declared. But what did that make him but a pirate, not a king? Because where was he? In America. And if you think declaring yourself king doesn't draw the attention of the U.S. government, well, by God, you better be wrong. Strang should have called himself something else or made it abundantly clear of what he was king of. Because that same year Strang was crowned, he was also arrested for treason and murder. How someone can stand there and say, yep, I'm king, can't touch me. 
Come on. The U.S. government's going to look at you and say, what the fork are you thinking? We took over this land. We just did this. You're not taking what we just took. We got this shit and we just tied this shit down. You're not taking it. Hello? Sorry for the reverberation. I'm actually back in my office at this point. That being said, yes, he was picked up for treason, treason and murder. Him and some of his men were taken to Detroit to stand trial. That was the closest place where out of some god-awful way, he was able to talk himself out of it. In the meantime, as he's doing this, because what he said was, yes, I am king, but no, I am not king of that land. My people bought it and then donated it to the church. I am king of that church. (laughs) How did the U.S. government not sit there and go, you ain't shit. That man obviously was the ultimate BSer because he was acquitted. Even though at this time there was piracy going on up and down that area, the people that he had doing that were killing the crews of these ships and burning the halls to get rid of, quote unquote, the evidence. And with that, it just made him more popular because most knew that the charges were made up because he himself technically wasn't the one that was killing people. Especially when Strang ran for election for Michigan legislature. Strang took the time and renamed the harbor and called it, wait for it, St. James. Like that hasn't been done before. Like Maryland at first was called Mary's Land. It was named after a queen and quite a few towns and cities all over this country. Not Mary's Land, but different places were called after same towns, same places that were over in Europe to make it feel more like what was home so they would feel more comfortable. And like any new quote-unquote ruler, they looked at those around them and to see if they could convert them to their way of life, which Strang was extremely generous. He gave those that were not quote-unquote saints 10 days to convert, or they had to leave their homes and the island. Such a wonderful guy. Local news of newspapers of that day wrote articles about Strang and his followers what they were doing on the island, and they were not flattering pieces. Strang and his followers were beginning to be known for piracy and thieves, just like I said earlier. And with everything this guy was doing, he was able to get into the Michigan legislature. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? This guy was actually a pirate. He crowned himself king. What else could he get away with? Being that Strang was able to get a lighthouse in the harbor of that island because he was able to petition for that. Supposedly, so he could set up commerce with a steamboat so he could sell them cordwood. But my guess was that he wanted to rob them. And according to an article in the Sheboygan News, while in Michigan legislature, Strang made several enemies, not just because of his religion, even though those outside of the religion thought it bizarre and somewhat illegal because of the polygamy, there were those that thought 
that the way Strang had taken over the island was hostile. There were those who lived there prior to Strang and his followers who had abandoned their living and their homes because of the fear that they had of Strang and of his followers. Remember, I said that they looked down on those that were not a part of the religion and were openly hostile. Some of his former high-ranking followers who had been kicked out also came after Strang. Dr. Hezekiah McCall ousted for drunkenness. Thomas Bedford, who had been whipped for adultery, which being whipped for adultery is going far since they were able to take multiple wives. I mean, how many women do y'all need to sleep with? Must have been a budding Ben Franklin. And for those that don't know this, Ben Franklin, one of our founding fathers of our country, was an absolute freak in the sheets, as the saying goes. He loved women, and apparently women loved them some Benjamins. And that that's all that saying goes got popular before he was put on the $100 bill. As time went by, there was, there began to be tales of Mormon pirates that would lure boats out onto the shore and kill the crew and steal what they wanted. And then, like I said, burn the boat so there wouldn't be any evidence. Hmm. And that didn't set off any red flags either. Also, with that lighthouse, eventually a Mormon person took over the running of the lighthouse. And the story goes that the person running the lighthouse would use fake signals to lure the ships onto the rocks. So then people who were luring the ships or steamboats would go onto the ships and kill the crews to get their cargo. And then again, burn the ships. So what is that old saying? Power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. With all the jobs and education that Strang had, you would have thought that he would have come across this quote, but he didn't and he couldn't handle power. Strang immediate Strang implemented a 10% tax, not just among the Gentiles, which is what he called those that were not in his Mormon religion, but everyone, which, as you can imagine, upset a few people. This was known as a tithing tax. And according to an article in Marine Time History of the Great Lakes by Howard Duffy, and this ran in January of 1997, which if anyone who goes to church and has been for years knows that a tithing is something that you give to the church from your total income from that week, month, year, however you want to split it up. But Strang's tithing law stated or demanded, however you want to look at it, that every saint gave one-tenth or 10% of your income to the church of their harvest, calves, wood, their actual time, which belonged to the Zion. Strang would make allowances for those that were needy, but there were those doing the dirty work and then those doing legitimate work. But either way, they were having to split up what they were getting and then on top of it, having to pay taxes. That's cutting into their profits. And low to those that didn't, that was a punishment that was met with a harsh, that could have been met with a harsh punishment. There were even groups of men who were considered enforcers that would implement Strang's law, which could range anywhere from a fine or as much as a whipping for those that could be considered worse of, a, of an offense. But there was even one punishment that was even more severe. 
they could disappear. That's harsh. Two of his top enforcers were brothers named John and Isaac Pierce, who ended up earning a great amount of wealth for themselves in the process. And this was rumored to be kept in a cave on Rock Mountain Point at the southern end of Beaver Island. Now, the straw that broke the camel's back was when he issued a dress code for women, which was that they were required to wear a costume that looked like bloomers. And bloomers are a pant-like garment, and they were required to wear them under their skirts. And many didn't like it, and some flat out refused to do it. And one story is that there were two women who refused to wear it, a Mrs. Alexander Wentworth and a Mrs. Thomas Bedford. Notice they did not use their women's names. Strang had the husband's whip. Mr. Thomas Bedford, according to an article in Old Salt blog by Rick Spillman, and this was in June of 2013, Mr. Bedford was whipped 79 times across his back. Now, if anybody has ever seen anything about anybody being whipped at all, after a certain amount of times, the skin can and will start to be torn open. And that's if they don't ply the tip with anything. After that, Mr. Bedford became very resentful. I don't know about you, but hell yeah, I'd be resentful. Some have, somebody's telling my wife what to wear and she doesn't want to wear it because it's not, she doesn't feel it's appropriate. And then you're whipping me for it? No, ain't gonna happen. You can keep people under your thumb for only so long before they start to chafe. And once that starts, then you either start to listen to them and start changing what they need and or want, or you're going to, you're not gonna be on top for much longer it will just determine how you're gonna go down. In throughout this research, not too long after this, in June of 1856, the USS Michigan, the naval ship that took Strang and his men to Detroit, once again came back to St. James Harbor. And what is said through this story is that Strang was invited to co go and eat with the captain of that ship. And as Strang walked down to the dock to meet the captain, a couple of men shot Strang three times. One shot supposedly hit him in the head and a couple of men pistol whipped him. Now, Strang didn't die that night, but he was taken by his closest supporters back to Voree, Wisconsin, where he lingered for several days. Strang's wounds were fatal and he died on July, some say 8th, some say 9th, depending on what research you look at, of 1856. In the article for Michigan Radio, the histor historian Rob Cole was quoted as saying, it's not clear just how involved the U.S. government was. However, two assailants and their families were taken away on the USS Michigan. They were tried and given a fine of $1.25 in court costs and released. And that fine in today's currency would be $37.70. So basically the cost of a tank of gas in a small car is what they had to pay for carrying out an assassination. But who was it really? Was it someone sent by President Fillmore who supposedly had his eye on Strang because he could be so popular and was able to bring people to his cause? Again, these are things that we'll never know, but it could have been the husbands that were whipped for their wives, quote unquote, disobedience. But this, if you, if you think about the date, this happened six years to the day when Strang was crowned king. 
So you have to take the date that it happened into account. When Strang got shot and died, an uprising happened that was fast and bloody. Almost 200 Mormons left the island the night that Strang himself was shot and then taken to Vorey, Wisconsin, where he died. And after that, a mob of men, between 50 and 60 of them, got together and drove the Mormons onto ships that had been waiting in the harbor. And these folks were transported either to Detroit or Chicago. The Mormons, the Mormon families, ended up losing all their possessions, similar to when they first arrived on Beaver Island. These folks that rose up, they even burned the tabernacle and the homes of the Mormons. That's pretty rough. I mean, that's how upset they were. And this put an end to the Strang era. Now, some of the descendants of those that lived on the island, they make a pilgrimage to that to Beaver Island to this day. There And to this day, there are even some rumors of a treasure on Beaver Island. The story goes is that there are still some of Strang's ill-gotten gains buried on Fox Lake in a large chest. With how fast everyone had to leave the island, there would have been no way Strang's supporters would have been able to get together all of his wealth. They, for the most part, left with just the clothing on their backs and maybe some money, money hidden to start anew. It's rumored that not only was their treasure buried on Fox Island, but also on North and South Mantu Islands, which is about 18 miles southwest of Beaver Island. And as you can guess, many over the years have tried to look for it, but to this day, still have not found it. But the question is, if found, would you say anything? In September of 1980, two Grand Rapids families went on a treasure hunt for this very treasure and found a large amount of coins and some paper currency that was once near a building that had once been used by James Strang and his sect. Today, it is noted that a large amount still hasn't been accounted for. If you do plan to go and look for any of this treasure though, make sure you ask for the property owner's permission before you go out looking. Just like ghost walks, most property owners don't like unwanted visitors going onto their properties. And who knows, maybe you can see something other than buried treasure there. Because remember, Strang and his people killed a lot of folks out on that lake and island. But what can we take away from Strang? On one hand, he was a well-educated and learned individual and could easily gather a following of people to go into the great unknown. He was very heavy-handed with those that he considered his followers and could lose those he gained just as easily. He was very able to have a piracy operation right under the nose of the American government and have one of the most ruthless reputations in the Northern Great Lakes. He was greatly respected and held considerable power as a Michigan legislator because of all of his constituents. And I put that in quotations because his constituents were his followers. And it wasn't the fact that Strang was heavy handed with his rules or laws in general, or the fact that he was capable of piracy that brought him down. No, it was the fact that when he tried to make women wear bloomers, and when two refused and had their husbands flogged or slashed whipped, that's when people had enough. Remember, people will always have a breaking point, like I said earlier. No matter what is going on, it will be a choice to follow someone across the, 
across country to start a new religious order or something as small as a new boss who was newly promoted and the power that they have has gone to their head. It's never a good idea to become a new boss over those who you once used to be, quote unquote, one of the guys with. Those friendships fade fast as soon as you have to make a decision, so it can cut both ways. But Strang was a man ahead of his time in some of his thinking. He thought women should be priests in the church. That certainly didn't sit well with the elders. As for the bloomers, maybe he thought it would be easier for women to get around that with the long flowing skirts that would collect dirt and mud, and if not brushed or washed, stayed on the skirt until it was. Who's to say? There were women who I'm sure would have been thrilled to have been allowed to wear such a thing. But that wasn't considered proper for women in those days. Strang turned out to be a man of many, many faces. Who's to say what Michigan would have looked like if he had lived? Would he have continued on with the piracy and kept up luring steamboats there on the premise of selling cordwood? I hope that you have enjoyed this particular case. It had a little bit of everything this week. Piracy, intrigue, murder, assassinations. Please remember that May is National Mental Health Month and that if you feel that there just isn't something right or if you feel that there's something off, please speak to your doctor right away or call 800-950-NAMI. That's 800-950-6264. Or text, if you're in a crisis, NAMI, N-A-M-I, to 741-741. And remember, it's okay to not be okay. I know sometimes words just feel like words, but you would be surprised by those who are around you who either suffer from depression or anxiety. The hardest part is taking the first step. So remember that my sources will be posted on the Facebook page. If you have any questions, please feel free to leave a comment, question either on the Facebook page, on podbean.com, or on any of the other platforms. The episode will be available on podbean.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Facebook. I'm also available on Twitter and Instagram, which you can also leave comments on there. And the Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes is all things eerie from Erie PA. And Instagram and Twitter is K-A-T-H-Y-B-R-D-L-Y. And again, remember, stay safe, stay healthy. This is Kathy, signing off.